0: To everybody who is not participating in tonight's lecture, we have alhamdulillah a very nice lounge area, so feel free to go, relax, enjoy some tea inshallah ta'ala, have lovely lengthy discussions to your heart's content, barakallahu Uh as for the rest of us. Today inshallah ta'ala we are talking about uh, the third evidence in Islam. So we talk about evidence in Islam and the four main ones that everybody's aware of are, what were the first two that we covered? Qur'an and sunnah seems very straightforward, and then third one being ijma'ah, and the last one is being what? Qiyas. So these are the four main ones, and then we're going to go into all the other different types uh, after that, inshallah ta'ala. But today we're going to really go, uh, dive deeper into uh, Qiyas bi the ta'ala. So bismillah. As for the definition, you know, every time you take a look at anything, studying anything in Islam, and it says, you know, it's always gonna be and استلاحة, like linguistically and technically. So let's take a look. Linguistically, ijma' means what? To concur, to collectively agree, or to have firm resolve. That's what it means in a just purely language perspective. Then technically استلاحة, it means what? Consensus يعني, on an Islamic, uh, on a point of Islamic law. So it has to do with fiqh specifically and you'll see why I put that in blue in a second, that has been reached by all, and I put that in purple, has been reached by all the Muslim scholars in any generation after the death of the Prophet. So this is a... Uh, or you could say a technical definition. It's consensus on a point of Islamic law that has been reached by all the Muslim scholars in any generation after the death of the Prophet So why is this the definition? For a number of reasons. On a point of Islamic law, because matters of language or logic or history wouldn't count as ijma' from an usuli perspective. We're only talking about fiqh. That seems to be, I hope that's clear. All, meaning not just the people of Mecca. Sometimes you'll hear, oh, this is ijma' min uh, أهل Medina. You know, this is ijma from the people of Medina or the Khulafa or the people of Mecca or whatever the case is. And no, we're talking about ijma from all the Muslim, as in non-Muslims, their consensus doesn't make a difference. We're not considering that from a fiqh perspective. And scholars, the laymen don't matter as well. Oh, I don't believe that. You know, yes, I'm a Muslim, but I disagree with that. Nobody cares about your opinion. We're only looking at major scholars. And then after the death of the Prophet Wasallam, this is an interesting point. Why? Because during the life, the life of the Prophet Wasallam. His opinion would supersede any consensus, regardless of the size. Now, this never really happened, uh, but even theoretically, uh, this wouldn't happen. I mean, obviously, the Sahaba wouldn't all go against the Prophet because he's the Prophet. They obviously submit; they're Muslims. Um, But if theoretically it happened, it wouldn't make a difference because you don't consider ijma. Like, oh, what does what does the body of Muslims think about you know during the time of the the Prophet Who cares if the Prophet said something? That's it. So I hope everybody understands that ijma is only considered as a viable uh, question to be answered. After the death of the Prophet now we go to that uh, source of evidence, because obviously the Qur'an is first. Okay, let's keep going what are the the pillar there's a particular pillar and then there are, are six conditions so what are they as for the pillar it has to be consensus of the scholars seems pretty straightforward but so that's what it is but what are its conditions a shurut there must be a large number meaning that if theoretically and I don't think this ever took place but if theoretically at one point in time there uh, uh, could have only been one or two great scholars living in a certain time period so you can imagine theoretically that the ummah only has let's say one or two great ulama right But, and therefore their agreed upon opinions wouldn't be considered ijma'ah because one or two is simply not enough. Now, I don't think this ever happened, but still the point is just to make it clear that ijma'ah has to be a large number. Point number two is what? That uh, uh, the consensus must be 100% to be considered ijma'ah. Even if just one or two or just a few uh, uh, scholarly detractors uh, um, you know, they have a different opinion, then this would spoil the ijma. Ijma'ah is considered completely uh, agreed upon. And the consensus can't be restricted to a region, country, or school of thought. We talked about this earlier. And the consensus must be known through the explicit expression from each scholar, be it through word or deed, or stated individually or collectively. And we're gonna explain what that means in a moment, inshallah. What do you mean collectively? So we'll see that in a moment, inshallah. Furthermore, the scholars must be people of Ijtihad, upright in character and far away from any kind of bid'ah, And the opinions of each of these scholars must be be transmitted reliably through authentic chain of narration. So that's what are the conditions of ijma. 'ah. So what do scholars agree upon? This is the big question. And this could be regarding any fiqh issue, let's say, for example, there's an ayah of the Qur'an. Do they have ijma 'ah on how this ayah is understood? It could be a certain uh, ayah of the Qur'an, it could be a particular hadith, it could be a point of qiyas. Uh, so, um, or, or, and, uh, or upon a ruling that's derived from a legal maxim a qa'ida it could be any one of these type of fiqh issues as long as everybody agrees therefore it is considered qiyas or agreeing on a point about the use of an evidence in Islam like all the ones that we're going to study later I know you're not familiar with these terms yet but we will learn in, in future classes what is istihsan, istashab, arf, sadd and the like inshallah ta'ala now what's interesting about this is that whatever the proof is whether it be from a qat'i source. Remember what we talked about qat'i before? Qat'i means like there's no question about it, like for example, the Qur'an. Or a zhani. is like there's some suspicion in it. Like for example, a matter of qiyas. It's an analogy. Does the analogy fit? Does it not fit? This is dhanni There's suspicion about it. However, the fact of the matter is that if all the scholars agree upon it, it gets elevated from a dhanni position to a qat'i one. So what do I mean by that? Let's give a, a, an analogy so everybody can follow along. Okay, I'll, I'll just give an analogy that I think is... It's from my own mind, so don't take it too seriously, but I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm guessing too much. I think this is pretty much a safe analogy. Um, we all know that uh, khamr is haram because Allah says so very explicitly in the Quran, right? Allah Ta'ala describes khamr or, or uh, alcohol, wine, et cetera, as something haram, good. Now, what about cocaine? Well, there are no ahadith about cocaine, right? Because it didn't exist at the time of the Prophet so then you're like, okay, so what do we know about this? So then you would say, well, I'm going to make Qiyas, I'm going to do an analogy and say it seems that they're analogous because they both uh, 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 you know, uh, cover the mind. That's where khimar comes from. Khimar, you know, it's the covering of the face, right? Khimar. Because that's what alcohol does. It's khamar It covers the mind. So since they both cover the mind, therefore, they, this is my qiyas, that just the same way alcohol is haram, therefore it takes the same ruling, cocaine is haram. Now, I believe, and I'm pretty sure this is true, <laughs> I'm pretty sure every single scholar agrees with this. If you go around the world and take all the major ulama of today or yesterday or tomorrow, whatever the case is, they're all going to say, <laughs> I'd be very surprised to find out if I'm wrong about this. But anyway, let's just say from my opinion, my guess is, let's not take it too seriously, my guess is that there's ijma' on this issue. Therefore, it being a qiyas, making it dhanni or suspicious, is now set aside to the fact that, well, there's ijma' on this, therefore it is qat'i, it is absolute. It is something that is very clear cut and explicit. Is everybody understand that point? If there's ijma about it, then it gets elevated from that perspective. Hope that's clear. Let's keep going. What ijma depends upon? If uh, even if ijma is reached for a particular issue, it can be that the scholars of that time agreed upon a ruling based on their context. Hence, applying an old ijma to new circumstances may be incorrect, even if the con- uh, 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 may be incorrect if the context isn't considered. So this is a very important point. You know, some new issue can come up right and someone could say brother it's clearly haram and you're like why is that the case ijma about this issue brother you're not taking context into account right if you are applying an old ruling for an old context and saying that we're just going to copy paste it because of ijma well it was ijma in that context so context does matter when taking fiqh into account so that's what it depends upon that's one thing now ijma contrasting the sunnah this is where things get a little bit more interesting how could ijma contrast the sunnah why? It would be for the sake of a maslaha mursala. This is a term we're gonna be studying more in detail in future classes, inshallah. A public interest, a maslaha mursala. So for instance, after a particular, any conquest, what was the sunnah of the Prophet The sunnah was to distribute the land to the Muslim soldiers. Pretty standard procedure. You know, we're fighting with a certain enemy. We take over their land. Khlas, that's our land now. It gets distributed as the spoils of war to the believers. Despite this sunnah, despite this being very obvious and clear, another method was, implemented during the life of Umar Ruanhu. During his time, they conquered lots of land. So the scholars came to a consensus, there was ijma that it would be better to leave that land on the hands of the people who already knew how to benefit from it. So you leave the farmers to do their business, whoever lived there, and then tax them in order to benefit the Muslims. So instead of us distributing every single soldier in all these different areas, the land was too much. There was too much land to cover. You couldn't give them all this land, it would be useless. They wouldn't know what to do with it. They wouldn't be able to have the, the workers to deal with it. This was agreed upon, although it had no precedence in the sunnah. However, it was considered a So you can see here, that it seems that it was out of necessity, and Allah knows best. And another example of ijma, contrasting the sunnah of or of a public interest, is what the Sahaba anhum coming to the consensus that the Quran should be compiled into a book. This was nothing that this was not at the time of the Prophet They did not compile it into a one single uh, uh, mushaf. They had they wrote it down on different parchments. People had different pieces of it. Yes, it was written down, but it did not get compiled into a book. Despite the fact that the Quran describes the Quran it describes itself as what. It's described as a book. So, it's interesting. So, you could say that there's some sort of foreshadowing here, but there was never a sunnah of putting it into a book. This was something that was done during the, uh, during the life, uh, this was something that wasn't done during the life of the Prophet ﷺ. However, uh, because of the great, General benefit. There was ijma amongst the sahaba. Everybody agreed that even though this is something new, it's something that must be done. Another example is the example of the adhan for, uh, or excuse me, the second adhan during Juma uh, during the time of Uthman ibn Affan Not because he wanted to do something new, but because of the large uh, groups of people that would attend. So the second was necessary to establish, uh, uh, to give them a warning to come earlier. This was something that was absolutely necessary. So they wanted to do a second one. So what ultimately you find the point is what that the reason behind all these rules was to continue upon the goodness that was experienced during the life of the prophet so small adjustments are made to maintain the idea and so one personal thought of mine is what personally i think the ijma that microphones like right now i'm using right but this isn't this isn't considered as much right we would consider the, the question of can i use a microphone for salah? that's a bit bitter, a bigger question so i think that the concept of ijma when it, uh, the ijma about using microphones and speakers uh, are used to amplify the voice of the imams could be seen in the same way. It's something that, look, this never existed, this was never considered, but it seems everybody seems to agree with it, therefore, khalas, we're just going to go with that. Why? It's to maintain the goodness. Why The goodness of everybody being able to hear no matter how big the group is. What is the authority of ijma? If the ijma' comes through tawatur narrations, it's considered qat'i. And if the ijma' comes through uh, ahad narrations, or if it's a tacit or a silent consensus, consensus. this is a term that we can learn, inshallah, al ijma'a sukuti. Sukut su, uskut means be quiet, right? Sukuti means silent, right? So al ijma'a sukuti means a silent ijma. What does that mean? It's not that everybody got up and said this is a consensus, but rather they tacitly approved of it. I don't know, maybe an example of, would be something like, you know, does every scholar need to get up and say, five daily prayers is part of Islam? Do they really need to say that? I mean, the fact that they're praying five times a day, you know what I mean? It's the, through their example, or etc., uh, you can see very clearly that this is something agreed upon. And then it would be considered zanni. There would be some suspicion about it. Most scholars agree that rejecting what is ijma makes a person a disbeliever because it is something that, abs- that is absolutely agreed upon by the ummah. Some say the exception is if the person is unaware of the ijma'ah, then they may be excused for their ignorance. And this is always the case. I mean, in general, you always find that if you don't know something, then inshallah, may Allah forgive you for your ignorance. Let's keep going. Ijma'ah in the Quran. This is a, I love this story. This is one you know, when I was very, very young, I came across this story, and subhanAllah, it always stood out as one of the most beautiful stories in Islamic history. I don't know, something about it really touched me, and it's just beautiful. So, uh, subhanAllah, an old man once came to Imam al-Shafi'i, and asked him, what constitutes evidence in the religion of Allah? I want you to prove to me what is, what you use for dalil Imam al-Shafri says, the book of Allah. quran kitab Allah. The old man then asks, what else? He says, a sunnah the Prophet sallallahu sunnah. And then the old man asks, what else? And Imam al-Shafri says, ya'ani al the ijma the of Ummah, ummah, the consensus of the nation. But then the old man gets real tough on him. Oh, this is my, my interpretation, that he's kind of a tough guy. He says, where'd you get consensus of the ummah from? What's your evidence for that? Prove it to me. Imam Shafi pondered for a moment, he didn't have the answer. And I can imagine this old man being a little bit tough on him, saying, hey young guy, don't be too quick, all right, you know, I'll see you in three days, subhanAllah, he tells him, you got three days, you got, oh. and so he, I'll give you three days and I'm, you better come up with an answer. So subhanAllah, it's just a beautiful moment where he's putting this pressure on him. So Imam Al-Shafri went home and started reading and searching, and after three days the old man came to him, he greeted him, said salam to him, and sat down, and Imam Al-Shafri said, I read the Qur'an three times each day and night until Allah guided me to the words. Can you imagine? This is how, the the reason why this is so beautiful is because there's this desire for clarity on one side and then there's the need to get to the bottom of it and in addition to that, there is a certainty that he's going to find it in the Quran. So he goes to the Quran again and again and you can imagine he just keeps going over the Qur'an, he's like, I have to get this, and finally comes to the ayah. And whoever opposes the Messenger, Sallallahu after guidance has become clear to him and follows other than the way of the believers we will give him what he has taken and drive him into hell, and evil it is as a destination. So Imam al comments upon this and says, so whoever contradicts what is agreed upon by the scholars of Islam without authentic evidence, Allah will enter him into the fire. What an evil destination. The old man says, you've told the truth. Good job. You did it. SubhanAllah, I just thought this was so beautiful that he's, he's going through the Quran and you know, he's trying to find, and eventually Allah Ta'ala opens his heart and makes him see what was perhaps right in front of him. Obviously, he had memorized this ayah, but he never thought of it from the perspective of what? Dalil, that this is evidence for ijma. Another uh, evidence, additionally, is what? Allah Ta'ala says, Ya ayahu al O you who have believed, obey Allah and obey the messenger and those in authority amongst you. Usually Ulul Amr is considered the political authorities. Right? And then Allah says, and if you disagree over anything, refer it back to Allah and His Messenger. If you should indeed believe in Allah on the last day, that is the best way and best in result. However, the word Ulul Amr can also refer to who? The scholars. So it just means, you know, the people of in authority. Authority in what way? Usually is understood as political authority, but it could be scholarly authority as well. And therefore, Allah says, "Fi fi If there is differing amongst you, then return to Quran and Sunnah. Return to Allah and His Messenger. But then the question is, well, what if there isn't any disagreement? What if there is ijma? Well, then of course, if there is ijma, then you have to what? You have to obey who? Ul-amri Minkum. right? You guys get the point? Allah is saying, Allah, as in the Quran. Al Rasul, Yani, as Sunnah. These are your primary. And then, Ul Amri Minkum, the scholars amongst you, the authorities amongst you. If there's disagreement, you go back to Quran and Sunnah. But what if there is no disagreement? That means there's Ijma'. Therefore, we take that based on the Quran. You guys get the ayah? So, SubhanAllah, maybe we've been over this ayah many, many times, but we never saw it from that perspective. SubhanAllah, it's amazing how the Fuqaha, they can open their eyes and see what's really there. Now, the evidence for Ijma' from the Sunnah, Alhamdulillah, there's lots of evidence in terms of the Sunnah as well. But it's so amazing that even though Imam al Shafri could have said, I'll find one or two or three hadith, he said, no, no, no. If something is as fundamental as ijma' is absolute evidence, then it must be in the Quran. That's why he was so obsessively went over the Quran, because he was certain it's got to be there. And I just, that's one of the reasons I love that story so much. Anyway, the evidence for ijma' from the Sunnah reaches the level of a tawatur al ma'anwi. Can anybody define for me what is a tawatur al ma'anwi? We talked about tawatur a little bit before. What is tawatur first and foremost? Please, somebody help me out. Yeah. No. Yeah, okay. What is tawatur? Yeah, Juan. Help me out. You're going to break my heart. What is people. It means reports that have gone in so many narrations. This is why it's important when we start a class. Everybody's from the beginning to the end, inshallah, Tata. It's kind of important. Tell you, inshallah. So, Tawatur means that you have so many corroborating reports that it's impossible to believe that it was made up. Even if none of us have been to, I give the example a couple weeks ago, if none of us have been to Australia, does anybody disbelieve in Australia? No, because the idea that the whole world agreed upon a place called Australia, and they're all just coordinating this lie, is ridiculous, right? Even if you've never been there, you're like, no, obviously I believe all the maps and all the human beings that have been there. Because the idea that we're all have this conspiracy that this, there's this place called Australia just doesn't exist. this, is, it's just all water. <laughs> That's not very realistic, right? You guys get the point? So nobody questions, you know, did World War II really happen or not? There's just too many corroborating reports. Too many people witnessed it, too much history, too much video, too much et cetera. So there are certain things that are reported in such great number of people that it's ridiculous or impossible to believe that everybody agreed upon a lie. So when you have so many people narrating a particular hadith, it's a taw- mutawatir hadith. When you, all of the Quran is mutawatir. That's, I want that to be clear. The entirety of the Quran is transmitted from so many chains, so many people memorized it from their scholar, from their scholar, from their scholar, from their scholar, all the way back to the Prophet it's impossible to think that it was made up, okay? So the whole Quran is tawatir. And some hadith are, and we talked about that in detail. Anyway, that was a bit of review. Tayyib, now that's mutawatir Lovely. Mutawatir in terms of wording every word of the Qur'an, there's tawatur. And certain ahadith in terms of the exact wording, mutawatur. However, there's mutawatur ma'nawi. Like for example, there may be many different ahadith that mention that the Prophet ﷺ prayed and the wording of each hadith is different, right? One might mention, let's say, Asr. One might mention that the Prophet was with us praying Fajr. One was men- mentioned, you know, we were with the Prophet praying Isha. Whatever the case is, right? But the fact that the Prophet ﷺ prayed you know, you get my point? It's impossible to say that, oh, maybe it's all made up. How? <laughs> There's just a gazillion reports. <laughs> There's too many reports. So, Yani from a, from a meaning perspective, they all converge together uh, to agree upon the same uh, concept. Ma'na means meaning, by the way. So if you take a look at all the different hadith, uh, uh, Allah's hand is with the jama'ah. So this is one hadith. Another one, the Prophet says what? <laughs> A group of people from my ummah will continue to fight in defense of the truth and remain triumphant until the day of judgment So clearly, the idea that everybody's wrong can't be the case So if everybody agrees, then that particular group also agrees, right? You guys get the point? If everybody agrees, ijma' on an issue then that ta'ifa mansura, that rightly guided group, they must be part of it and therefore it must be true Let's keep going The Prophet says what? Uh... فمن اراد منكم بحبحه الجنه فليلزم الْجَمَاعَةَ فَإِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ مَعَ الْوَاحِدُ وَهُوَ مِنَ الْإِثْنَيْنِ أَبْعَدُ Whoever among you wants to attain a spacious abode in paradise, let him adhere to the jama'ah. The main body of Muslims for the Shaitan is with the one who is alone, uh, but he is further away from two. This is a part of a lengthier hadith in Muslim Imam Ahmad. I just took a small part of it. Now, these are two da'if hadith, uh, hadith, but still you find that the meaning is still there. Even though there's weakness in it, it still corroborates the report, which is, for example, one hadith is إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا Indeed, Allah will not gather my Ummah, or Muhammad's Ummah, depending on the narration, upon deviation... And Allah's hand is over the jama'ah, and whoever deviates, he deviates to the fire. And another hadith is what? Inna ummati, ala فَإِذَا excuse me, Very interesting. My nation will not unite on misguidance, so if you see them differing, follow the great majority. Sawad like this big group of people, follow the majority, play it safe. By the way, this is really great advice, subhanAllah. Every time you hear people saying, you know, brother, come to our halqa. We have a special halqa. We teach special knowledge. You know, this is something that only the, you know, khawas, يعani, forget the awam and nas, this is for the khawas, this is for the special people. You know, we have, I've been to places like this. I've seen these certain people that they try to sell you this, uh, let's just call it, in my opinion, snake oil. They try to sell you something special. Oh, I have a secret. What are you talking about secret knowledge? This isn't the, how this, this deen works. Brothers and sisters, when you know that the Ummah is going through turmoil, there's division, we don't have a Khilafah, you know, uh, the Prophet ﷺ is not with us, there's d- differences of opinion about matters. What's the safest thing to do? Stick to what is absolutely clear and known and obvious. I pray my salawat, I fast my Ramadan, I give da'wah, I call to the truth, I call to tawheed, I call myself a Muslim, right? That is the name that Allah Ta'ala gave us in, 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 in the Book of Allah. I try to memorize Qur'an, I try to pray at night, I try to fast extra, I try to give charity, I try to speak the truth, I try to speak up against injustice go go keep going keep going all these are all how who can debate with this stuff right someone says no no but i got a shortcut yeah you keep your shortcut to yourself Masha'Allah. i'm so happy for you you and your shortcuts and you think you're special i'm sure you're wonderful i want to stand on yawm al-qiyamah being safe i want to play it safe i call to allah and his messenger i tell people read the quran and read what is authentic stick to that and inshallah ask allah to, 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 to forgive me and accept what i do because i stick to what is clear and obvious other than that have a nice day. That's, I think, the safest thing you could do. Is someone going to tell you, no, brother, you're deviant because all you do is pray and fast and give charity and this and that, and therefore you're, you're deviant? I've even heard people say stuff like that, who said, oh, people like this, they have no spirituality. And one brother, I remember, this was years ago, he responded so nicely. He said, how, can, how dare you? These people have no spirituality? Oh, these guys who are just stick to the book. These people get up in the middle of the night, pray to Allah, ta'ala, crying their eyes out. They have no spirituality because they don't do your special little, you know, little groups and your special things. What are you talking about? How dare you say this? These people cry uh, to Allah Ta'ala night after night. Which is, by the way, when it comes to, let's put it that way, when it comes to qiyamul layl and Tahajjud and so forth, right? This is something very clear in the Sunnah. So anyway, sorry for the long tangent here. So, final few points, inshallah. What are the types of ijma? al ijma al-sarih, explicit when scholars agree with their words uh, and deeds upon an opinion. Something sarih. So actually, earlier when I gave that example of the salah, that's through their deeds. So it actually is sarih, right? So maybe that was a bad analogy. Anyway, but uh, uh, whatever, ijma' with words or deeds, this is sarih and obvious. However, al-ijma' sukuti silent or tacit uh, uh, consensus, is when some scholars make their position clear on a matter and the others remain silent about it, right? They should speak up, right? فَبِلِسَانِهِ You're supposed to speak up as a scholar, right? If you're a true scholar, you're supposed to speak up. If they don't speak up, then obviously there's no difference of opinion. Uh, not offering a second opinion. Thus, it is understood that they don't oppose that opinion. This is where things get interesting. There's some, there's a. You, as you can imagine, this is where things get a little uh, uh, hairy. Uh, ijma al-Sukuti. There are two main opinions about Ijma al-Sukuti. I hope we can appreciate the brilliance of our scholars. Alhamdulillah. The Malikiya and the, sh- uh, the sh- uh, Shafi'iyyah, What do they say? They say this isn't considered ijma, nor is it evidence. So they are a little bit tougher. They say, you know, Ijma sukuti I, I don't accept it. Why? Because it's impo- it, because it is possible that the quiet scholars simply didn't have. An opinion on the matter. It's not that they're agreeing, they just say, I don't have an opinion. So that's different than agreeing. Okay, very, very true. Or they may remain quiet because of fear of being attacked for their position. That's also very fair. They might be attacked for it. So they say, I'm going to stay quiet. I would say that nowadays we have examples of this. There are certain governments that are doing evil things. And some people say, what? Well, why you know, isn't this scholar speaking out? Well, he's not speaking for, right? That's another. That's very important to pay attention to. He's like, oh, he's not speaking against his government. But he's also not speaking for his government. He's just saying, you know what? I'll teach, <laughs> I'll teach uh, the uh, basic fiqh, how to pray and how to make wudu. I'll play it real safe. And you, look, man, you don't know. He's like, look, I got kids. I got family, you know. So give the guy a break. You know, subhanAllah. You don't know what type of threats are they're under. So that makes sense. So in terms of the Ahnaf or the Hanafis and the uh, Hanabilah or the Hanbalis, uh, they say this is considered ijma, the ijma'a-sukuti, why? And it's considered qat'i evidence as well. So they're a little bit more, uh, they, they, they like ijma'a-sukuti more. Why? Because uh, literal ijma'a-sarih, where every specialist gives his opinion on a matter is almost impossible. This idea that everybody says, no, no, I'm going to voice my opinion. It's very hard to get that. Usually the older scholars offer their opinion. It becomes popular. And then there's no real reason for the younger scholars to keep affirming it. That's a really smart point. That's brilliant. If you studied under your sheikh and everybody knows what your sheikh said, and then you, do you really have to voice, by the way, I agree with my, like, yeah, we know, man. You know, he's your scholar. You don't have to say, by the way, I confirm his opinion on A and B and C and D. It It would get redundant after a while if you had to declare every last issue that you agree upon. So if there's no evidence of a threat, we shouldn't assume scholars would remain quiet on an issue if they disagree. So he's saying, so the Hanafis and the Hamilis, they're saying, look, we do take it because there are, we know when the government's oppressed people for their opinions. And if there is no reason to believe that there is any sort of oppression from the government or whatever the case is, then why would you assume, right? Pretty fair opinion, too. At the very least, it should be considered dhanni dhulala. At least it should be, you know, uh, let's say, you know, strong op- Strong evidence, but there, you could see some room for, for disagreement, but by and large, it is considered strong evidence. Now, there are doubts about this. The Shia and the Mu'tazila say that ijma isn't possible because having a consensus with all scholars means a number of things. It means all the scholars of a particular generation are known, and there's always a possibility that at least one scholar was unknown. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. Each one of their opinions, on a, they also uh, means that each one of their opinions on a given matter is known, which is difficult to ascertain. You know, maybe you don't know their opinion. And of course, if the point in question is الدلالة, is something that is clear cut and, uh, and obvious, then there's only one uh, meaning of this thing. There's only one uh, of this particular verse or this particular hadith. So the isn't necessary anyway. So who cares? Uh, conversely, if the point in question is الدلالة, as in there's multiple ways of interpreting it, then it's almost impossible that that particular verse or that particular hadith isn't interpreted in a different yet valid interpretation by at least one scholar. Like In other words, if there's multiple ways of understanding it, then there must be some scholars that take the second or third opinion, right? So this is their rationality. So what do we respond to this? So in response to this doubt, we would say ijma happened with the Sahaba regarding a number of things. So it did happen. So this is the response. For example, fighting those who refused to pay zakah during the Khilafah of Abbaqar al siddiq We saw that this was ijma. People said, we're not gonna pay uh, uh, zakah. A book of Siddiq was the khalifa. He says, we're gonna fight you. All the Sahaba agreed, Ijma, done. Next, collecting the Quran and producing a copies of it. This was something that everybody agreed with, Ijma. So the impermissibility imp- of pig fat as a qiyas on the pro- prohibition of its meat. Someone might say, oh, the lahm, khinzir is haram. Therefore, the, you know, what's it called, duhan? Right, the, 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 the oil or the fat, whatever. We can, this is halal. No, no, ijma that it's haram. The permissibility of a Muslim woman uh, marrying a non-Muslim man. Ijma on this issue that it's, it's a, the impermissibility, excuse me. It's haram for a Muslim woman to marry a non-Muslim man. Uh, impermissibility of one man having two wives and those two women. One of them uh, is, an, one woman is co-wife with her own aunt. Whether it's her khala or her aama, there's a hadith that says this is haram, and there's ijma every scholar agreed uh, that this is haram. And a mahar, this is an interesting one, a uh, marriage without a determined mahar is still valid. Uh, is still a valid ma- marriage contract. So let's say, for example, two young people are excited, they want to get their aqt nikah done really quickly. So they're like, oh, you know, I got the wali and we got the witnesses, khalas, we do the marriage. And then they, you know, let's say a couple weeks go by and they are living together. Therefore their you know, Jima is taking place. They are, you know, consummating the marriage. Then the question is, oh, wait a second, we didn't pay the mahr. Oh my God, was this zina the whole time? A'udhu billah. You know, so they get really nervous about this. And so the answer is, no, no, it's still considered valid. It is still a marriage, but you have to uh, give her a mahr. Like you should, you have to, you know, fix the issue. Issue. Now, what happens if they disagree? She's like, I want a big money. And the guy's like, no, no, I, I say this much. And they start disagreeing. One easy way of saying, just give mahr al What's mahr al It is the average, you know, you take a look at her, let's say, socioeconomics class, her sisters, her, I don't know, cousins or whatever, and say, well, how much did the average get? A couple thousand dollars, there you go, make it easy, move on. Uh, So that's ijma on that issue. There's a prohibition of the six different categories uh, of interest. You can't make interest with zahab or fiddah or qamh or sha'ir or timr, whether it be uh, gold, silver, wheat, barley, dates, or salt. Why? Because all these can be used as currencies. Therefore, you can't give a certain amount and get more back because it's a currency. Same thing with money. I can't lend you $100 and say, give it back in uh, two weeks, uh, $110. That's riba. I hope everybody understands that's riba. That's haram, haram, haram. (laughs) Good. Uh, And that's ijma' on that. And it doesn't matter if it's money or whether it's barley, dates, salt, etc. And as for uh, knowing the, who the scholars are, this is done when conferences or gatherings are called by the governments to discuss a pertinent issue. Plus the scholar of a, of a particular city, usually these scholars are known uh, and, uh, as through their teachers and also through their students. They don't hide away. This idea that the Shia and the Mu'artezid were saying, like, well, what if he's unknown? Right, right. So this is great alim, mujtahid, top scholar, but he's just hidden in the... You know, nobody knows him. Who is his teacher? Who are his students? Why is he hiding? What is he living like? This is not a very realistic situation. You have to live amongst the people, learn from the people, teach from the people. So, alhamdulillah, ulama are known. Uh, And then, of course, ijma' through action. The list of examples that we just mentioned are suffice, but uh, if only one opinion on an ijtihadi matter is known, yet there weren't many scholars that commented on it, we can say that there is a Ijma'a sukuti or silent consensus, and therefore it would be dhanni or speculative or theoretical as opposed to qat'i. So even if there's only one or two scholars that have an opinion on a matter, and you're like, those are the only two opinions, you think, well, that's ijma, isn't it? Well, it would be dhanni. Why? Because the sukuti matter, the rest of them were all silent on it, so therefore it has less weight. So I know it's a bit of a technical issue. bārakallāhu fikum for everybody attending, uh, and inshallah we'll open up for comments and questions. Uh, may Allah Ta'ala guide us, may Allah Ta'ala give us. Strong principles of usul, amin ya Rabbil Alamin. So who would like to break the ice with the first comment or question?